Welcome to This Week in Photo. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free 14-day trial, go to Squarespace.com slash TWIP and be sure to check out their annual plans for savings of up to 20% off. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by Hover.com. Hover is domain name registration and management that's simple. For Hover's transfer concierge service, free for our audience, go to Hover.com slash TWIP. This week on TWIP, in case of a water landing, take pictures. Adobe gets touchy-feely and an interview with Reed Warner from Snapknot.com. It's Saturday, May 21st, 2011, and this is Twitch. Welcome back to TWIP, your weekly helping of photographic inspiration. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. And joining me today on the show are a couple of new voices. Mr. Silarina, who's been on the show before. Ron Brinkman, who's always on the show. And Doug Kay, who's also been on the show. But both Sil and Doug haven't been on in quite a while. So, hey, hey guys, how are you guys doing? Doing great. Just doing great. All right. Uh, yep. Let's let's work backwards. Sil Arena, um, you have been up to quite a lot since you've last been on this week in photo. Let's get, give me a quick rundown of what you've been up to. Uh, let's see. In the short version is I had a book published on Canon flash photography, and yep. I'm trying to recover from that project. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, right? Yeah. Sil exactly. is on the mend from publishing a book. Yeah. 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 And what, a, what's the title of the book? Speedlighter's Handbook. And how's it doing? It's it's doing great. It's I'm proud to say it's in its second printing, and uh, I learned recently that it's been contracted out for translation into five or six languages. So it just wow. goes to show if you write about something that nobody else has really covered in depth, uh, it's a lot better than saying something about things that people already know. Yeah. Are they going to are they going to translate it into Nikon? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, that's a good question. I, I, I've had that conversation, and you know, the short version is my dear friend Joe McNally's done a great job, uh, and Dave Black does a great job, and Dave Hobby does a great job. So lots of lots of information out there about Nikon, and um, so I've toyed with the idea of doing the Nikon Speedlighters Handbook, but uh, I don't have it in me. I don't, you know, I'm a, <laughs> yeah. I'm a Canon guy. I'm not sure I'm bilingual. Hey, Sil, I wanted to ask you. I, I remember seeing, and I actually retweeted something about this several months ago. Uh, when you're, I think it was around the time when your book was first released that somebody had taken the PDF of your book, uh, lock, stock, and barrel, and posted it online for people to freely download, which was tantamount to just like coming into your living room and uh, taking your TV away. Like, what, whatever happened with that? Um, the, the PDF went off, uh, offline, and the reality is, you know, it, that PDF had been downloaded a couple hundred times, um, and the reality is that there, unfortunately, is a global community of online pirates who will not hesitate to usurp your intellectual property and put it out on various torrent feeds. I literally, every day, get Google alerts based upon a number of searches, the book title, my name, and so on, that show me torrent links to torrents where you can download the book for free and yep. um so thanks to the digital name copyright act you know there's a whole legion of people at pearson education the parent company of my publisher peach pit press who literally all they do all day long is send out dmca notices to websites around the world 
And it's just an ongoing battle. I mean, that, that thing that I wrote about was literally the tip of the iceberg, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the dirty underbelly of digital publishing in the Internet age, right? Yeah, I think there's a whole generation of people who um, think, oh, gosh, if it's on the web, then I'm entitled to take it in any form that I can. And uh, yeah, I just, I've just, information I, wants to be free. Is that the is that the reason they do it? Yeah, sort of. And I, I, I just, you know, I just looked at it for a while. I said, you know, maybe I just won't do anything like this again. And then I thought, no, you know what? There's way more positive people. And that was the that was a huge lesson for me, Frederick, is that something can get ripped off like that by somebody who's really uncouth and it can get ripped off and pirated and shared by a whole community of uncouth people. But the reality is there's still thousands and thousands of people who literally have said thank you for sharing this info. Yeah. And that's huge. And that's, uh, you know, you can choose to be negative or you can choose to be positive. And after a couple of weeks of choosing to be incredibly negative and pissed off about it, <laughs> I just said, you know, hey, you got to get back in the saddle and move forward with a positive heart and a positive mindset. I, I kind of, you know, I tend to agree. I've got a book out there, too. And it's it's the same thing. I get the Google alerts and they can see us out there. And, and I guess I've kind of come to the conclusion, though, that, you know, a lot of the people that are grabbing it, are almost like oh here's here's something for free but they're not they wouldn't have bought it anyway mm-hmm. and I've had people that I have I have one person that actually said you know I, I grabbed this book off the the torrents and I decided to go buy it just because I want to have it and uh, you know I think it's just kind of the nature of the beast that there's always going to be stuff that's pirated but I'm not sure how much it really impacts the real sales of it for the most part and so, yeah so it's kind of like the people that were that are and I think it was like what Steve Jobs said when the iTunes store launched with the with DRM on the songs mm-hmm. just basically saying this store is for the honest people you know that are going to that yeah, would be paying you know, as anyway long as it's, right? yeah as long as it's easy to get it and pay for it people will cuz they you know they want the real thing and it, and it is kind of still a hassle and that way you know you're getting the you know the the newest version and that you're supporting the person that did it and uh, yep. so yeah i mean i think you're right though you you can't be too negative about it you kind of just got to look at the the big picture overall of you know the people that are buying it are are doing the right thing. Yeah. So, Ron, while while you're on a roll, what have you been up to? Uh, I'm just waiting for the rapture. Oh, great! <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the wrong time zone because I'm still here. Oh my goodness! Here we go. Well, you know, I, I was hoping this show would not go down that route, and there it goes, right there. I the doors, and, and and I got the shotgun out, and and I was waiting for these raptors to show up because I thought it'd be cool to have a dinosaur hunt going on. And then somebody told me it was the rapture, not the raptors. And I'm that is that's Ron Brinkman with two ends. If you'd like to find him <laughs> online, please. <laughs> All right. And Doug Kay of IT Conversations is also on the show. Hey, Doug. Hey, Frederick. How you doing? I'm doing great. What? No, catch us up on what you've been up to. You were on um, a while ago when we had uh, Andy Biggs on. What, do you, yep. what have you been up to between now and then? Well, let's see. A lot. Uh, taking a lot of pictures. Or excuse me, I'm supposed to say making a lot of photographs. <laughs> taking a lot of pictures. That's what I'm trying to learn. Image maker. Uh, Creating that's images. Right. That's right. Right. Uh, I happened to be in Egypt when the revolution began with my D7000. Wow. And, and that was fun. Uh, quite an experience. I've been trying to shoot as much as possible. I just got back from a workshop with the Mentor Series, the popular photography people in Santa Fe. And that was interesting. And being on the show today... 
reminded me that I needed to get back to the blog, so I just put some stuff on the blog about workshops in general. I saw that. I want to pick. We're going to talk about that a little bit too. I want to pick your brain on workshops and what you think about that kind of and, scene. And for the rapture, which is at six o'clock Pacific time, my goal is to is to start a very expensive dinner in a very expensive restaurant and then not to have to pay the check. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's a good goal. idea. That's yeah, a so, that's a really good idea. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hit a real fancy restaurant about five o'clock and uh, six o'clock. It won't matter. I just wonder why you know people aren't just buying up real estate left and right. You know you're not gonna need it. You know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but what what good is it? Yeah, no, I'll give give me your house for fifteen bucks. <laughs> you know, right. Done. <laughs> cool. All right. Uh, before we continue, guys, I want to give a quick nod to our one of our sponsors, Squarespace.com. It's the fast and easy way to publish a high quality website or blog. And as we've been saying on the show, Squarespace is just you know sort of brain dead easy for creating, managing any website or blog or web presence that you want to put together. And it's easy enough for both beginners, who folks that just got the bug of getting online, and people who understand what the acronym CSS means. So if you are on either ends of those spectrum, of that spectrum, you can get in and, and utilize Squarespace and, and actually come out of the other end with something really, really powerful. And to speed things up, they've got a bunch of design templates to choose from. You can customize them so you can get a head start on what your site, your blog, or website's going to look like and then tweak it so that it doesn't look like it's a template anymore. And then in those, once you're doing all that tweaking, you can use different modules to customize it, whether it be you know a Flickr module or RSS feed, Twitter integration, forms, all that stuff. You can integrate that into your website, throw a forum on there for some community, throw some Google Maps in there, and then publish this thing. And you got a, you got a website in a couple of hours that probably about five years ago would have taken several thousand dollars and several months to get close to what it looks like just to build this thing and have it hosted in the cloud. Um, so the the other thing I thought was really cool about Squarespace is they have an iPhone application, which is really cool, that you log into your website, update it, and approve or disapprove comments on your blog posts on the go. So you know, some other platforms, you'll get a notice that says, hey, so-and-so, there's a, there's a comment waiting for approval, and then you'd have to go to the website or to a web browser to approve it or uh, disapprove it. With the iPhone app, you can just, boom, click it with your thumb and get back to your latte. So it's uh, really, really cool. Um, the other thing, just to mention real quick about Squarespace, is they've got a 14-day free trial, so you can try it out. You know, if you like it, you can go for it. They're month-to-month. Meaning after that free trial, if you sign up, you don't have to sign up for like six months, a year, whatever. You just pay month to month. And if you decide that you don't want your website anymore, you just turn it off and you're done. And after the free trial, you can get a 10% off discount or 10% off if you commit for a full year or 20% off if you commit for two years. So if you're sure you're going to keep this website, just do it up front and you'll you know get a chunk of change. But the cool thing is for listeners of This Week in Photo, you get a 14-day free trial. So just go to squarespace.com forward slash twip, sign up for your free account. You don't need a tr- credit card. You can just try it out, build your website. And if you like it, you can sign up for one of those annual plans and get 20% off. That's squarespace.com forward slash T-W-I-P. 
right, guys, let's get into the news. Uh, the first story is um, about trading fear for photos on a stricken plane. So basically, a, a photographer is not funny. A photographer was on a, and I'm laughing as I say this is not funny. It's funny now. <laughs> photographer. <laughs> All right, Ron, you, I'm trying not to laugh. So you tell us what this story is about. Well, I, I, yes, it's a terrifying thing when it hap- if it were to happen to you. So there's a photographer, uh, Pak Bayo, is on a flight from Singapore to Jakarta with his family when one of the engines exploded, as in exploded with fire and stuff. Uh, and, you know, so, of course, everybody on the plane is like, they don't know if they're going to die or not. And Because, um, I mean, it's a little, it's serious explosion. And, and uh, But this guy who's a photographer, photojournalist, apparently, decides to go ahead and pull out his camera and start taking a picture of people on the plane and their reaction to this situation, wow. which is, is pretty hardcore, I suppose. Uh, I, I don't know if this is a testament to, you know, just courage under fire or he figured he had nothing better to do, uh, but he posted these photos uh, of these poor people and the looks on their faces when they don't know if, you know, this is going to be the last couple of minutes that they have alive. And I guess, I mean, there's a lot of questions that this raises about whether you should or should not do that kind of thing. And then should you or shouldn't you post this sort of thing? I, you know, I know that if I'm on this plane crapping my pants, I probably wouldn't want a photo of me posted. So yeah. I don't know. What do you guys think? I don't know, Doug. What, where, what would you do? You're on this plane. You look out the window. You don't see a man on the wing, but the the engine, <laughs> the engine, uh, and that was a uh, Twilight Zone reference. Yeah. The engine explodes. You have your D7000 sitting next to you. Are you going to start praying? Are you just going to like panic? Are you going to pull that thing out, turn it on, and start snapping pictures? Well, am I sitting next to William Shatner? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I have to say that one of the shots I just love because it reminded me of the movie Airplane and sort of assume the crash crash position. You know, when I saw that. Yep. But you know, I, you know, I think I would take out the camera, and part of it is. Uh, what else am I going to do? Mm. I mean, you know, I'm at, <laughs> to keep I'm at yourself thir- occupied, right? Well, I'm at thirty thousand feet, and, and I'm heading down. You know, and yeah. um, uh, I can sit there and worry, or I can take pictures. Now, publishing is a different question, but I, I think I, I probably wouldn't have the wherewithal. I wouldn't have thought to take out the camera, but if I did, I would do it. Um, you know, back in the seventies, I, I was in news, and you know, there was this is always the question. You guys have discussed it on the show before, which mm-hmm. is, you come across a problem, do you take the picture, do you, or do you help? In this case, you can't help. There's nothing you can do to yeah. take the pic- take the picture. Yeah, that's true. Silarina, what do you do? Do you pull out speed lights and start setting them up around the plane? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm surprised the engine didn't blow up because somebody was out in the wing with a bunch of speed lights. Uh, I swear I was nowhere near the point of the day that it had the issues. You know, I'm looking at the photos, and if if you looked at these photos by themselves in the absence of the story around the photos, you'd have no idea what's it, going on. It's kind of true, isn't it? You know, it's Yeah, I mean, not these, like these are not – when I looked at the headline – um, these are not the photos, the traumatic, fear-inspiring – you know, this is not war photography that happened in an airplane. Um, there's really nothing about these photos absent the words and that's often one of my measures about how powerful an image is, is can I look at that image without the story around it, without the words and have a sense of what's going on? And I have to say for the most part, I don't. Um, that said, what the heck would I do? I, you know, I'd probably – the first photo I take would be of me screaming, and uh, if I could get my camera out of my bag, I don't know. I don't know what I would do, and I've asked myself that question many a time. Yeah. Um, 
You know, so, it's, 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 you know, I think that if I had the camera with me, I would almost be more inclined to turn it on myself, turn on the video, and just talk a little bit about what I was feeling at yep, the that's time. That's what least, I was going to say. That's exactly yeah, what I would do. Yep. I think that'd be more interesting to me and probably to other people because I think Sil's totally right. You look at these pictures and there's nothing there that really gets you a sense of what's going on. People are sort of... I mean, a little bit stunned looking, but there's not a whole lot to it. Yeah. And, and I think, and, and, you know, maybe too, this is the kind of thing where video might just be a more powerful medium to, to kind of show what's going on. Totally. Totally. Really and, talking to it. and what I would do, I think uh, exactly what you said, Ron, I would turn the camera on myself and, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't care about documenting, <laughs> documenting the situation. I'd care about, I'd be thinking about my loved ones at that point, and I'd want to leave one last message to them, you know, and maybe some, some, some last will and testaments directions, you know, in case, yeah, exactly. in case someone finds this memory card. My name is Frederick <laughs> Van Johnson, and I bequeath all my, you know, that kind of thing. I think none of you guys ever worked in news. I think that's the difference. Yeah, that, that, that may be. Yeah, you know, in, in, if you've done that, then you, you just can't pass up the chance to turn on the camera and get something. And you know, even you in your shoot- final minutes, you're thinking about news, though. <laughs> it's in your, it gets into your blood. You yeah, know? I can yeah. understand that. It's it's an instinct. It's a uh, you know something that you train yourself in a mindset that you you train yourself to do. I yeah. I want to know why aren't there no pictures of the of the exploded uh, engine? Though? Right, that's what I was looking for. Where is that? Yeah, at? me too. Well, maybe it was it was already out by then or something yeah, on the other side. Or, yeah, yeah, or on the other side. I wonder what Anderson Cooper would there, would do. Would, <laughs> what would Anderson do? That's going to be my new mantra. What would he Anderson would, do? <laughs> he would look really good. <laughs> yes, he would. Yes, he would. All right, guys, let's move on to story number two. Uh, this is really interesting, and still, this is a little bit related to what we were talking about before about um, the sort of people. Uh, appropriating digital content without paying for it on the internet. Getty has acquired PicScout, which is a company that, quote, will bring leading edge image identification technology to customers around the world. So basically what they do is they have algorithms that scan an image and imprint it and however they store it in their database so they know this this is a particular image. And then they can look for, I think they said they scan over 600 million images every month um, looking for matches for that image around the web so that you can see who is using your image and where and if they're authorized and all that good stuff. So, Sil, uh, I, I don't know if you're a Getty photographer or not, but regardless, does this, this technology, like being able to sniff and find your images on the web, does that appeal to you? Or is it just, you know, whatever, you know, if they want to steal it, they're going to steal it. It's too, too much litigation to bother. You know, it's an interesting story. Um, I've looked at I've looked at Pick Scout's technology through the years and thought, oh, is this something I should incorporate? I don't do a lot of stock photography, so I just kind of passed on it. Um, and there and there was a day when a lot of photographers made good, healthy livings and supported their families shooting stock. And thanks to Getty and thanks to micro stock sites, those days are largely gone. And it, it, to me, I think that. In a way, the really interesting story is about Getty itself and acquiring this technology. Um, it's still too early to say, are they going to make it for you know Getty-only images, or are they going to continue to make it available to stock photographers far and wide? Um, there's lots of, you know, people are going to steal your images regardless. And if you're a licensor like Getty, then you have a fiduciary responsibility to your clients, to your photographers and other creatives to try to 
track that down. Um, 600 million images a month sounds like a huge number, but I bet it's only a fraction of the images that are actually out there in the web. So I continue to remain a skeptic. I mean, Getty has done a lot of things, in my view, to really work against the content creators. And I'm not convinced that um, they're going to change that role. The APA came out recently and um, you know, had some sharp words against Getty and said, you know, we're in a dialogue. We don't like the terms and the way you unilaterally change the terms and under which you're licensing our content. So there's lots of it. You know, anytime Getty's involved, I just shrug my shoulders and say there's more to the story than anybody knows. Yeah. I, I think this is this is really more about Getty protecting their own assets as much as anything. I mean they I think they want this technology so that they can surf the, the web and, and find instances where their own images are being infringed on as much as anything. I mean, I'm sure they'll offer it as a service. And I don't know what, I don't know if any of you guys know what the cost of this is, but PicScout is basically a paid service, right? Where yeah. mm-hmm, you right. contract with them, you upload as many photos as you want to have sort of monitored. And then it is constantly out there scraping the web and, and looking for infringement. And I mean, I'm sure Getty sees this as potentially a profit center in and of itself, I doubt they would have bought an extraordinarily unprofitable business. But I really think it's as much as anything also about uh, Getty just wanting to make sure that they're policing everything for their own images. Now, Doug, Doug K, if you're you've shot an image, say you're you're just back from your you know an overseas trip and you have a bunch of images that you captured um, and you put them online in a gallery or something on your website. And then you notice, you know, you get a you get a note or some sort of notification from PicScout because you've signed up for it that your images is being used improperly or without your notice. What do you do? You know, from your perspective, what would you do? The first thing is, oh my God, somebody likes my picture enough to steal it. <laughs> You're <laughs> like, amazing. yes, all right. <laughs> so that would be that would be a first. That would be great. But uh, you know, I uh, certainly if I were a professional photographer, which I'm not. This would be important to me. Um, I, I think that I'm, I personally would be, uh, as Sil said, you know, if they're only looking at 60 million images, they're, they're not you know, really scra- scraping the, the barrel very deep. Um, there's a lot more stuff that's out there. And I think that Ron yeah, But is it's up- 600, 600 million. Oh, 600 every, million. Every, still, every month. You know, yeah. I mean, if you just go to Google Images and you see right. what's there, it's just amazing. Yeah. You know, my, my bigger concerns are things like, Flickr and what the terms of use are on Flickr. Um, and obviously, there's a whole other space, which is the, the use of these images in print, which isn't being covered here at all. Mm, yep, so, yep. you know, the, the higher value, if, if somebody's going to take an image and throw it up on their blog page, I'm not out a lot of money. If somebody takes an image of mine and uses it in a corporate annual report, this isn't going to find that. And that's where my images would actually be worth quite a bit more. Perfect. Yeah. So, Ron, Ron Brinkman, how does this? You know, Ron, uh, Doug brings up a good a good point. What if these images are improperly shared on, say, Facebook or Flickr? You know, Doug, can can PicScout peek through the firewall that is Facebook's you know login algorithm to to allow you allow it to sniff within all those millions and millions of images? Uh, I'm sure it can to some extent. I mean, it's you know, it all depends on what sort of privacy setting you have on. Facebook, you know, some people, including myself, I think, I don't even know, have it set up so all their pictures are public. Other people have it more private so that only friends can see it. Uh, you know, so th- there's all kinds of different levels of accessibility on this. And I'm sure PicScout is just sort of taking the, the tack that they are 
going to crawl as many places as they can to try to collect these images. I mean, it's a fascinating technological question of, you know, the, the data the data requirements are just phenomenal here for how you how you do all of this and the sort of especially if you think about the cross matrix of comparing any two images to each other. You know, you've got this this massive comparing every image to every other image before you find matches. Yeah. Um, there's another company that does it, just so people know, called Tinei, T-I-N-E-Y-E. That's a, a free service. Uh, it's not really a service, but it's just a, you go to the website and you can either upload a picture from your um, directly from your computer or you can just give it a URL and it will return anywhere else it finds copies of that picture. Uh, so if there is one which you think, okay, this is, you know, I know this picture's been out there for a while and it's a really cool picture and I'm just curious who's using it or something like that. You can use, sometimes use Tin Eye to, uh, to do the same kind of thing, uh, but it's not, it's not something that you can really do in bulk. Uh, and I rarely, you know, sometimes I'll get hits, but it's, it's pretty rare. Yeah. So it's uh, it's just so many, you know there's so many pictures out there and there's so many more coming. I don't it's it's I don't know that there's ever really going to be a good way to do it. I think anybody that expects this to be you know even more than about ten percent reliable is is sort of deluding themselves. Yeah, Silarina, um, does this make sense or do you do you do you care about this technology? Not really. <laughs> um, no, it's <laughs> like whatever. Okay, no, 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 no. and here's here's why. Um, you know, when you look at the still valid model of saying, okay, you know, the value of an image to a professional shooter is based upon its income stream to the publisher. Um, you know, a printed image is going to be worth more than a, a web image. And somebody rips off an image of mine that's online. Um, you know, I don't post high-res images online, so they're not going to be able to up-res that and make a, you know, a 72-pixel-per-inch image into the cover photo for their annual report. I mean, I would love for that to happen. That's a nice payday for me if I can, if I can find out and prosecute it. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, think there's, I think there's much bigger issues to me, uh, at least in my world. And, uh, and among those, to be quite candid, is saying, all right, you know, what is really worth saying in today's world? What is really worth photographing in today's world? at a time when the world is literally awash in images and we're all pressed for time. Um, That's a great point. That is a great yeah. point. Because I mean, if, I, I, if you find the all these, if you find, say, say PicScout Pic finds 15 images that are being improperly used and your, your copyright is being infringed upon, do you spend the next six months of your life in litigation or do you spend the next six months on a trip to Africa shooting photography? Yeah, you know, I mean, from my perspective, the the, the DMCA um, takedown notices that we issue uh, for illegal copies of Speedlighter's Handbook, that's pretty straightforward, and those things happen pretty fast um, because the Internet uh, site host doesn't want to have a liability once they receive the DMCA. Um, copyright notice is and copyright litigation is nowhere near as efficient. And, um, I, again, I just shrug my shoulders and say, not that I want people to take my images or anybody else's images, but we've only got so much time. And I think the Pick Scout move was a way for Getty to get some publicity and a way for Getty to uh, protect its own backside. And, um, you know, it's, 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 not a, it's not a barn burner for me. It's not going to make me say, gosh, I wish I was a Getty photographer. You know, you know who might be using this technology? It just came to my mind. Um, Lady Gaga. <laughs> she, she she recently uh i think she either she or her 
representatives issued a statement that they wanted to claim copyright on all photos taken at her concerts of her. Um, and wasn't it, wasn't it actually part of the, she said she wouldn't allow photographers unless she got the rights. Uh, I, I no, I believe it was retroactive. She's saying everything that was shot is now hers, you know? So I, I, maybe this is a way for, for, uh, Madam Gaga to, to police the images of her floating around the internet. Ron should, uh, good good luck. What what do you think, Ron? Is is she the right? Good luck with that. (laughs) That's what I I tweeted. (laughs) I mean, the world is definitely changing, and this this idea that uh, you can control photographs is is really starting to get a lot more slippery. And you know, I think it certainly it's it needs to. You can't just throw your hands up and say I give up, but it's just going to change so much. I mean, th- this even raises the question to me of sort of you know, is there a business model out there of you just put your photos up on the web, and then when some service identifies that somebody's used it, you send them a bill, or hopefully there's an automated system that sends them a bill, and you don't really have to do any of the pre-sales stuff. You just sort of let it, just let the cash roll in. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, the, the Lady Gaga thing just feels like it's, it's somebody who doesn't really understand the way things work, feeling like, oh, we can have some extra revenue here, and I don't, I can't see it being particularly successful. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys, let's, uh, let's leave the copyright and move on to something a little bit more positive. Adobe has released three touch-friendly iPad applications that integrate with one of which, I think, well, no, maybe actually a couple of them integrate with Photoshop. So basically these are adjuncts or control surfaces. That t- it turns the iPad into a control surface so that you can instantly access features within Photoshop, extending your screen over into your iPad. So, Sil... Um, I know you, you probably looked at these videos already that we're going to, we'll put in the show notes. Is this something that you'd add to your workflow? Um, it's something I'm thinking about and I, I don't have an iPad yet. I'm oh. iPad two. I thought, no, I'm like the only guy, you know, and, uh, that doesn't actually, and, I don't either. So, oh, uh, okay. True confessions. <laughs> well, well, Ron, <laughs> you still read dead tree books. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're disqualified. <laughs> So, um, but I, you know, when I looked at this, I was like, okay, this is really kind of interesting crossover technology. Um, at least one of these apps enables you to use your iPad like a Wacom tablet um, when you're working Photoshop, and so it enhances your control interface um, on your desktop. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. Although I have to question, um, I'm pretty brutal on my gear, which is one of the reasons that I haven't picked up an iPad yet. And I've got the dents on all my speed lights and cameras to prove it. <laughs> I've seen them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and so um I have to wonder if using an iPad as a tablet for hardcore Photoshop applications is really a good idea. You know? It it seems like it's really uh it has some interesting potential. I'm not sure about the durability. Yeah. Doug, would would you would you introduce a tablet into your photography workflow or into your controlling Photoshop workflow? Well, I actually did my homework and I tried out one of these apps. So I downloaded I bought, I spent a dollar ninety nine on the one called Adobe Nav, which is uh sort of gives you access to your toolbar and a couple of other things. And it's a little buggy and I would say it's an interesting concept. It's a good start. But I actually tried – I do use a tablet with Photoshop. So I said, well, what happens? I got the tablet on the right. Where do I put the iPad? Well, I put the iPad on the left. 
You know, it's it's another place you have to move your hands. It's mm-hmm. another place you have to move your eyes. It's not going to replace the tablet because it doesn't have the resolution that the nice stylus has. It doesn't have pressure sensitivity. So forget that. Uh, and this particular one, what did it allow me to do? It allowed me to select the tools from the toolbar. Well, I usually use um, uh, keyboard, the keyboard shortcuts for that anyway. Right, right. So it's I'm faster. Not, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not going to take my hands off and go over here and find the icon. Um, it lets me select between the active images in the window and eh, not much. But I, I do think it has one use potentially, which is if you're working with a client and you have a second person who wants to get their hands on the controls, if you want someone else to say, instead of saying, you know, you know, uh, select this image instead of that, instead of either grabbing your mouse or telling you when you do it, they actually have essentially a second mouse or stylus that allows them to do some of the navigation. Anyway, I think it's a start. I think it, there's a future in it. I don't see why Adobe would, would charge $2 for this, why they wouldn't make it free for somebody who, who's got Photoshop. But anyway. I don't know. It just sort can. of feels like, it feels like um, and I have no inside knowledge on this, it just feels like there's a bunch of people sitting in a room saying, you know what, how, how can we integrate Photoshop with the iPad. Ideas. I need ideas, people. You know, <laughs> they came up with this and I, put it out. I think that's. I think that's probably true. But I, I think Doug's right that this is also sort of a. This is you know people are starting to figure it out right, and they're. I don't. This is certainly not going to be where it all ends up. I mean, I read the descriptions of these, and I kind of felt like all right. The only one I would even consider using would probably be the one that gives you some additional navigational abilities. But I, it's true. You know, most of the time is keyboard shortcuts or you're already on the mouse so why would you then release that to go to another mm-hmm. another device uh you know unless it's just got so much of a better interface it doesn't really make sense to me and you know there are uh there's a uh, an iPhone or an iPad app called I think it's Air Display mm-hmm. which basically lets you use your iPad as a secondary display um it's the guys at Avatron software they also make air sharing it's great 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 apps that they make and i haven't tried this one out in particular but it's basically just sort of an extra monitor that you can use your ipad for and i almost see that as making more sense to where you could move some of your existing menus over to that so you could have your main screen be more devoted to the photos uh, but still keep the same navigation of just using your mouse which you or your, your existing tablet which you already have been using but i think this, it's early days and people are going to come up with ways uh you know doug's example of a, a client sort of a scenario I think is an excellent one because I can see that where instead of people pointing over your shoulder, you know, I've spent a lot of times in, in client rooms as well. And yeah, this, this communication uh, and potentially even remote communication can be a really difficult thing. And having something to where somebody could just circle with their finger on the screen, you know, this is what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. That does have real value. And so I think, I think we're going to see a lot of stuff like this where you get this hybrid of tablet plus desktop machine but i just don't think anybody's really nailed the the killer app for it yet well speaking of speaking of killer app there apple uh, apparently filed a patent to um looks like to bring aperture to the ipad ron um is that the killer app for the ipad for photographers yeah you, you, you've got to look at something like that and say obviously apple has somewhat inside knowledge about things that they can do uh but i in 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 I think in a lot of ways this is exactly the same thing as what you were saying about Adobe. I suspect it's going to be Apple sitting around saying, all right, what can we do to start playing with the ideas of integrating desktop and and tablet environments? And let's take uh, an application like Aperture 
that is going to be very a very visual tool and see what kind of cool things we can do. And I don't think, you know, even Apple, I doubt, will nail it on their first pass, but I think they'll come up with some really interesting paradigms that people will start to, some of them they use, some of them they won't. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it'll be fun, yeah. even if it may not be. There's a lot of stuff on, on the Mac that, uh, you know, they provide that I never use, the, the sort of multi-screen, you know, kind of stuff we can have different they call it spaces yeah. i never use that i never use use dashboard widgets uh some people do so you know apple's like anybody else they will provide a lot of stuff that may or may not get traction or may or may not get traction with everybody yeah it seems like apple's in the, i mean they're definitely in the position to create a killer photography digital asset management app on the ipad i mean you look at you look at uh, iMovie and mm-hmm. on the iPad too and how crazy powerful that piece of software is or GarageBand you know and then you say okay well let's apply that to photography or pl- apply those learnings to photography and leverage that horsepower in that device to let photographers do really cool productive things in the field you know rather than just kind of look at an image here and there i think uh yeah i'm excited to see what they come up with Doug K what are you um what are you using for your digital asset management you Lightroom Aperture Bridge I'm Lightroom and Photoshop Nice. Would you would you want to use a, you know, would you integrate something like an Aperture type application on the iPad into your workflow? Well, I I had to some extent. For example, when I was in Egypt, I took um, before I had my own iPad. I bought. I always buy new technology for my wife so that I have the excuse to buy version two for myself. <laughs> so I had I had her iPad version one with me, and I had uh, Photogene on it, and I thought that was great for just doing really basic photo retouching uh, to show people I was traveling with the photos. Uh, it's not part of my real workflow. You know, the real workflow is I bring it into Lightroom and it goes various places from there. But it's pretty nice to be able to pull stuff in off a card, uh, put it into um, Photogene and do some basic cleanup so that stuff looks good enough to show. Yeah. And Silarina, I know you're not using an iPad. What's your, just quickly, what's your, what's your workflow when you, you out on, you're out on a shoot and you've got your 15,000 speed lights set up. What next after you, you've got all your images on the card? I just tell all my assistants to deal with it. Oh, and go have here we go. Here <laughs> we go. I just go have lunch. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Still, still still Leibowitz over here. Yeah. Anybody who's ever <laughs> shot with me knows. Uh, my sons will say, uh, F you, dad. Um, you can go do it yourself. And when they say that, uh, I go have, uh, I go into Lightroom. I'm strictly, uh, you know, the, the less I have to know, the less I have to work, the happier I am. And, um, you know, I, I love Lightroom, and that's where I'm sticking, and I'm shooting more motion all the time. And I was uh, pleasantly surprised when I discovered that Lightroom can even begin to uh, catalog my motion clips that drop right in with my stills. And Adobe, if you're listening, I'd love to see some premier Lightroom connectivity. Totally. Kind of totally. like Lightroom Photoshop connectivity. Yeah, so, you know what? The next you know, great frontier. The, I know the, the Aperture users out there are like slapping their foreheads because Aperture, of course, has really robust image or video handling capabilities. So you can actually drop video clips into a timeline and do like the Ken Burns on some stills, drop some video in there, and then go back to the stills. And where Lightroom right now is just restricted to, well, they, Adobe was like, okay, we'll let you see the videos. Right. You know, that's it. That's it. We'll let you see the videos, you know. So, yeah, there's definitely some work to be done there. I'm looking forward to the next version. Hopefully they'll, uh, they'll go with the times and give us some, some new video capabilities in there. 
All right, guys, uh, it's time for a quick interview. I had a chance to speak with Mr. Reed Warner from a company called Snapknot. You can find them at snapknot.com. It's a website dedicated to helping couples find and connect with wedding photographers. So take a listen to this interview. I'm here with Reed Warner. He's one of the co-founders of a new company on the scene called Snapknot. Um, you can find them at snapknot.com. That's spelled S N A P K. N O T, so snap as in snap and knot as in tie the knot. And uh, what they do is they're a, a registry for photographers that, that connect photographers to brides and all that magic stuff. But I'm going to let him explain that. So, Reed, welcome to This Week in Photo. Thank you so much. It's a great pleasure to be here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're you're quite welcome. So so explain what the what the uh, the problem that Snapknot is solving in the industry and what what Snapknot is all about. Sure, absolutely. Be happy to. Uh, basically, my wife and I got married back in in two thousand and seven, and it was an interesting process. Uh, she she reported to me that she spent a lot of time on the search for a wedding photographer. And as we all know, wedding photographs are really one of the main things that families will keep for years beyond the wedding to, to remember the day. And it's such an important part of, of the overall process of, of wedding planning. And uh, what she told me was she spent a lot of time on Google searches. She spent a lot of time on the, the current sort of big media wedding sites, only to find the process to be really time consuming, ineffective and, and really inefficient for her. Um, she said it was it was difficult to get a sense and, and a feel for each photographer and that oftentimes she sort of found somebody that looked really good and then only to be disappointed later when she had spent a lot of time and energy uh, to discover that the photographer was out of her price range or our price range. So basically, we uh, we set up to build a better mousetrap and we, we dove in head first. And basically, we set up this, the site to quickly and easily answer three major questions for brides. The first question was, what is the wedding photographer's style? Do they fit within my budget? And where are they located? Nice. So that's the general idea behind it. Very cool. Okay, then, so let's, that, that story sounds very familiar because I, I spoke with Jason Kiefer. He was uh, one of the, if, if he, he was the founder of Pictage, the uh, wedding photography lab. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he, that's his story as well. It's very similar to that, that he and his wife got married and they were very frustrated with the photography situation, you know, around ordering albums and all that good stuff. So they decided to fix it. And it sounds like they did. And you're, you're doing something similar with the, uh, with the front end of the service. Exactly. Exactly. Now, let's talk about the industry a little bit more. So out there, you know, of course, this is This Week in Photo, so we, you know, we have to go beyond just what your company is about. So there's, mm-hmm. there's a wedding channel out there that's also doing this, right? And there, are they the 300-pound gorilla right now in this space? Definitely one of them. Yeah. Absolutely. So then how – so you're, you're a newcomer into the space. There's this 300-pound gorilla that's sort of lumbering around, and, and that's what people think about. How are you – well, first question is – um, you're entering the space new. How are you differentiating yourself against them in particular? That's a really good question. Basically, um, sort of as I mentioned, we we wanted to just build a better product to make it easier for buyers to go through this process. You're right that they capture a huge amount of the bridal traffic, and and frankly, um, you know, we're we're probably never going to get as much traffic as they do. But the fact of the matter is, what we're doing is catering exclusively to wedding photographers. 
So our core business, number one, is predicated on the fact that we need to grow the businesses of our members who are all wedding photographers. So um, our directory, it's not an add-on to another type of photography service. It's not an add-on to a wedding blog, and it's not an add-on to a wedding planning website. So quite literally, 100% of the traffic that we receive is going directly to the wedding photographers. Brides aren't coming here to find wedding planning tools or or get distracted by their vendors. So in that sense, um, it's quite different. Um, and also, uh, once you go to the website, it's very easy to see, but it, it's extremely photocentric. So it really gives photographers the exposure that they're looking for and gives them an opportunity for their work to speak for themselves. And frankly, to brides, it gives them the, the visual inspiration that they're looking for as well. Yeah, it's a beautifully designed, designed site. I'm, congr- I'm looking at it right now, so congratulations on that. It looks really nice. Thank you. So uh, so one of the things I noticed on the site is that you're listing, like I'm looking at right now um, just the uh, How Snap Not Works page. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm looking at some of the snapshots in there, and it's, it's, it looks like the profiles show the photographer's name, I think their logo, whether they're willing to fly or not, and um, their price range. Like mm-hmm. I'm looking at Kristen Weaver Photography. She's based in Los Angeles, and she charges from 2250 to 5680 mm-hmm. So in that range, she's got seven years of experience and her memberships in PPA and WPPI and that kind of thing. So... You it looks like you guys you have uh, your finger on the pulse, you know, if you will, of what photographers are charging. I'm looking at, I'm looking just at this particular page and it looks like there's a range all the way from 32 to 75 and 2250 to 56. What trends are you seeing in the pricing and pricing with regard to wedding photography? A while a while back and the the impetus of this question is a while back on this week in photo that we did a show specifically about how the $500 wedding photographer was entering into the space and undercutting all the folks that are charging, you know, 6 grand, 7 grand and and beyond. Are you seeing any of that? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. We're seeing a huge range of, of photographers. There's certainly a lot at the low end. There's certainly a lot in the middle range, and there's certainly a lot, a lot at the high end as well. And and basically, what you know, what we wanted to do is we wanted to provide an even playing field. We think it's sort of more about the concept of you you've got to be in it to win it mentality. Um, so so there's lots of really well curated sort of exclusive wedding photography directories out there that that cater to the high end bride or, or things of that nature. And really, our perspective was that, you know, we aren't arbiters of style or taste. And, and ultimately, it's a very personal decision. So we wanted to really provide a broad range of, of options for brides and make sure that they had an opportunity to choose the photographer that they like and to, to determine who fit their, their specific budget range. Yep. And for, for photographers, there's, there's also, as you mentioned, there's so many new photographers trying to sort of get into the game and establish themselves. Which, of course, as you alluded to, is, is sort of a hot topic in the industry right now. But we felt like we wanted to provide an opportunity for them to really compete with the big boys and, and really give them a chance to let their work speak for themselves. So, so with the design that we, we sort of came up with, it, it's, you know, it gives them an opportunity to be side by side um, next to sort of the big guns. Um, so that was one of the ideas that we had in mind and for the bride to really make that decision on her own as to whether she wants somebody higher end, more established, or somebody a little bit lower, um, who may fit her visual style, but may have, um, some fewer years of experience. Yeah. So then, so then that said, since you're sort of sitting, like I said, with your, your finger on the pulse of this stuff, the, the twip listener who's thinking, you know what, I'm tired of this corporate America thing. I'm going to start my own gig. I got a camera. I'm going out to shoot. 
what should he or she price their services at? <laughs> That's a really good question. And it's, a lo- it's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very loaded question. I would say it's really important for that person to just have a, have a, a pulse on their local market to understand who else is out there. I think that's one of the key things to get involved in some some local groups and organizations to really network with some of the other photographers. Um, maybe second shoot for free, just to do a lot of these things. That's one of the biggest things that has been um, really fantastic for us getting into this industry that there's so much knowledge out there. There's so many people really willing to share what they know uh, within the industry and to, to help some of the young photographers who are just getting started. So to me, it would be less about what should they price themselves at and more about trying to draw upon the really fantastic resources that are out there to become established. Good. Yeah, that's great. So then, so then let's shift gears a little bit and talk about marketing. So one of the, one of the things that creatives in general and, and specific, specific to this conversation, wedding photographers are for the most part, remiss at is you know you can be a really talented photographer or artist but then you fall short on the marketing and sales side of things Mm -hmm. and then you can't have one without the other for example you can you can create art but if no one knows about it no one's going to hire you so and your your service snapknot is a i would see it as an overall component of a wedding photographer's marketing strategy like they should be listed in your directory but they should be doing other things as well you know just to make sure that their their name is out there what what in your opinion your professional opinion you know around the snapknot you know i have my directory my listings up there and i'm getting traffic from there what else should i be doing where else should me as a as a, a budding wedding photographer even established photographer where else should i be promoting myself Everybody, I think, knows this in the back of their mind, but as you've sort of alluded to, um, it's difficult for a lot of people to get their hands wet in this area. And my biggest thing would be social media. It's such a huge, all the brides are out there. They're using Facebook. They're using Twitter. So one of the things that we do specifically for our diamond level photographers is to really focus the concentration on promoting them on Facebook and Twitter and helping them sort of bridge that gap between what they might be uncomfortable doing or or just unsure of how to navigate that territory. So we're helping them gain that exposure through a lot of Facebooking, tweeting, blogging, Tumblr, lots of different things within the social media sphere, which is also a way that we're trying to distinguish ourselves from some of the other larger companies out there that you've mentioned earlier. So I think for a lot of people just getting started or frankly, even people who have been in the industry for a while, is to really sort of take that leap, jump into social media, start connecting with your brides on a personal level, which is one of the biggest things that that any photographer to do is to start building that emotional, personal connection uh, with brides. And we've tried to do that with some of our some of our other features on site as well. Yeah, and you and you mentioned today's bride is on Facebook, of course, they're on Twitter, they're you know, Cora, they're all over the place, you know, mm-hmm. social media. The today's bride is plugged in you know of course just you know as um most people are you know as we're as we move forward and get more and more techno get more and more connected um so what does that mean in terms of the wedding album so you got this because i look at the wedding album itself i know this doesn't specifically rate rate you know relate to finding the right photographer for your wedding but just in in general, in terms of the industry, finding your photographer is one thing, but then having the the end product of that photographer, which is typically in my, you know what I what I think is that the end game is to have this big old giant wedding album and the parent album and all that stuff. But considering that today's bride is plugged in, do they really want that these days, or is it? Yeah, just give me the images. I want to slap them up on Facebook and and tag my friends in it and share my album, my my photos out that way. 
I think it's it's a mixed market. I, I think a lot of brides out there they still they still like the touch of paper. They still want that sort of tangible thing that they can have on their bookshelf or on their coffee table and and really just keep forever and and show to their friends and family. So I think that market's probably never going to go away. But at the same time, as you mentioned. Brides love to share their images online. They like to put them on Facebook. They like to put them all over the internet. So there's certainly a need for that as well. We've actually seen some interesting ideas. A couple of uh, photographers on our <clears throat> on Snapknot have they're starting to do um, albums in iPads. So they'll quite literally have an iPad as part of their wedding package. They'll you know they'll hand the iPad with a fully loaded um, set of images, um, uh, albums to their bride at the end of the process. So that's a sort of a neat way to bridge the gap between the technology and, and the older um, albums, as you've mentioned. That's awesome. Okay. So let's talk, bring it back to Snapknot and, you know, say I sign up for the service and I'm a new photographer or even, you know, a, you know, I've been in the game for a couple of years. Can, once I sign up for the service, can I expect a deluge of, of traffic and my phone starts ringing off the hook and I'm, I'm in business is, is <laughs> signing up for snap, not akin to hanging out my shingle and, you know, beating people down at the door or <laughs> I wish I could say yes to that, that question, but I'm not, I'm not going to present it as something it's not, but certainly, <laughs> certainly, uh, you know, we've, we've been around for about a year and as the name has, has gotten out there more and more traffic has certainly been building very significantly. We've had, we have tens of thousands of unique visitors coming on a monthly basis to the site. So certainly a lot of photographers are getting well-qualified leads, um, not to mention throughout, through all of our social media channels as well. So absolutely, um, leads are coming through, and there's been a lot of success stories, even in just the, the one year that we've been around. That's awesome. That's great. I'm looking at your pricing page right now, and I'm looking at the diamond. It's at forty nine ninety five a month. Mm-hmm. So, so presumably you're at a diamond level. You're you're generating revenue from weddings, and fifty bucks a month should be a drop in the bucket, especially if if Snapknot generated that wedding or that lead for you, right? That's so, the way we yeah. That's the way we looked at it. We felt as if it was a a decent price point. Um, certainly cost effective. If you get one or two bookings out of it, even over the course of a year or two, hopefully it's still going to be a positive return on the investment for the photographers. And, and like likewise, one of the big complaints that we heard from photographers um, on some of the other big sites was that not only were the were the pricing really expensive, but they would be locked into sort of long term six months or yearly contracts. Mm-hmm. And and the way we set it up was we really wanted to put the burden on our our shoulders. If we're doing a good job, people are going to want to be on our website and they're going to be very happy to pay that $50 a month. If we're not doing a good job, then they should downgrade to a free account, which is also an option to them. So everything that we do is on a month to month basis. If people are happy, if they're getting good leads, if they have a busy season and they want to sort of capture more traffic at that point in time, they can go up to the $50 level, or if not, they can still be on the site at the free level as well. That's great. That's great. So then let's, let's talk about the services that you offer. So when, and this is, this is like a personal question. So if I sign up for Snapknot right now, you said, you just said you guys have been around for about a year. How are you getting traffic to my profile? If I'm paying you 50 bucks a month and I set all this stuff up, I got my, my logo in there, I, you know, everything's set up. But if a tree falls in the forest, it doesn't make a sound, or does it? You know. So how how are you driving traffic over to my profile? We've built it over time. Um, we optimize the site for search engines, so a lot of organic searches come through just via Google, Yahoo, some of the big search engines. Uh, so that's one way. 
like I've been saying, a lot comes through so, through social media. We have a pretty big Facebook following and Twitter following, so a lot of brides and, and their friends find us um, through those channels. We also do a lot of paid ads. Um, we have ads on Facebook and Twitter, uh, sorry, Facebook and Google as well. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the big wedding blogs we're advertising on or have um, other sort of uh, cross-promotional um, things going on with them as well. So, so brides find us through a lot of different ways, a lot of word of mouth, a lot of uh, things like that. So it's been going really well. Very cool. So what, what's next for Snapknot? What's the, what's the next level of evolution? We have some stuff in the pipeline that we certainly want to certainly build out. Some things we've talk, talked about, for example, adding video to the website, which is, I think, a very natural evolution for us right now. It's, it's just photos, which is great. Um, but we want to add some more sort of integrated features uh, in that sense that provides more of a multimedia experience for the, for the brides. Possibly some other higher level integrations with other photography services that are out there. Uh, we have an iPhone app that's in the works, so that's that's something we hope to launch within the next um, probably month or two. So we're pretty excited about that, um, and some other things as well. And you'll have to stay tuned for that. Very cool. All right, and I know you know we we spoke before I hit the record button on this interview that you had a uh, some sort of discount available. I always people that come on the show if they can do it, I always press for a discount for the TWIP listeners. So, what, <laughs> no, I understand. What, we got to do it. We got to do it. So what what uh, what are you going to kick down for the TWIPers? All right. Well, we really wanted to thank you for having this, this amazing opportunity to be on the show. So we wanted to give your listeners a pretty killer deal. So basically, uh, we decided to offer any new member of Snapknot our Diamond Level subscription, which is the top level with all the bells and whistles, all the social media exposure, all the photos, everything you want. Um, typically, it's $50 a month, but we're going to give it to your listeners for just $10 a month nice. for six months. That's ongoing. what I'm talking about right there. That's good. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome. And even on top of that, it gets even better. If 200 or more people sign up, we're actually going to give everybody who are on that plan their six months completely free. Nice. So we, we want to encourage everybody to to share the deal, to talk about it, put it on Facebook, put it on Twitter, do whatever you want to do. Um, and hopefully we'll get you that six months for free. It's going to be a really great deal. And how do, how do they get that? What's the What's the code? They'll go to the website and look for the big blue button at the top of the page, which says "Photographer, start here." That gets you in in the flow to set up an account, and then just go to the diamond level and enter the coupon code TWIP, and then the number three TWIP three, and then that is also going to expire on May twentieth. So don't wait. That's very cool. All right. Well, I appreciate you doing that for the TWIP listeners. It's that's very generous. That's uh, doing some quick math. Eighty percent off, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Eighty <laughs> percent off. I think you have the uh, the distinction of being the person that gave the biggest discount on a service. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a, that's a pretty big honor. I, I hope <laughs> we'll see what happens. So the next the next service that comes on, we have to beat eighty percent. So <laughs> <laughs> we're setting the bar pretty high. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thanks a lot for coming on the show, man. This is uh, this has been quite the pleasure, Reed. I appreciate it. I really appreciate it. It's been, it's been an honor, and, and thank you so much. You're welcome. And just once again, for people that are listening, your, uh, the, the URL to the service is at snapknot.com. That's S-N-A-P-K-N-O-T.com. Okay, quickly before we move on, uh, just heads up, that interview was recorded back in April. Uh, so the author, 
that he gave, that generous offer in the interview, is through May. So we decided to extend it. Uh, the Snapknot guys are going to extend that through June 20th. So you can take advantage of that until June 20th. And we'll also put that in the show notes. Okay, that was Reed Warner. He's a co-founder of Snapknot.com. If you'd like to learn more about Snapknot, you can visit their site at Snapknot.com or follow Reed on Twitter at Twitter.com forward slash Snapknot. All right, before we continue with some uh, tips of the week, I hope you guys have your tips ready because this is a... It's going to be interesting, and mine is really good, so you're going to have to be better than mine. Um, <laughs> I want to give a nod to our one of our the other sponsor for this episode. We're brought to you by Hover.com, and Hover is all about making domain registration and service simple. It used to be that you know in the olden days, you, if you wanted to register a domain, it would take around 50 clicks, and you get bombarded with offers. And not, and, not in the olden days, just in the <laughs> days where you're using the wrong registrar. <laughs> You're using the wrong registrar. We won't say who that is. I but, hover, hover, hover rocks. Yeah. So you go in, you like click around, and you know, and then then you finally, you know, Ron, you know, it used to what what gets me about these things, like when they the scare tactics. You know, you finally yeah. get through the you finally get through the process, and then they hit you with, um, you know, some of these other registrars. They hit you with, well, if you don't want your home address to be public to the entire world. For an additional seven hundred dollars a year, mm-hmm. we will mask your identity from the world. You know, would you like to? Would you like to, to sign up for that service? Yes or no? You know, kind of thing. But yeah, are, no, you, I, I, are you sure? Yeah. Are yeah. you sure? You, let me ask you one more time. <laughs> you know, would you let sign? Me, would you like to sign up for our patented stalker in your living room protection? <laughs> so, then I wouldn't see you as often, Frederick. Exactly. Exactly. Because <laughs> I'd I'd be in your living room. Yeah. You know, anyway. <laughs> so. But Hover's awesome. They, uh, one of their, their claims to fame is that they, you know, it's the whole less is more thing. They don't sell a whole ton of services. They focus on making that onboarding process, as we call it in the corporate world, um, easier. And they try to make it easier to manage your domain, your domains as well. And they've got this cool thing called, which I love. It's called a no hold policy for customer service calls, uh, Monday through Friday, nine to nine a.m. to eight p.m. Eastern. Which means when you call during those hours, they will not put you on hold. You'll talk to a person, which is, you know, I want to see how long they can keep this up because as they become more popular and millions of people are using them, they're going to have to scale for this. So that's uh, so take advantage of it while they're. You know they're they're shooting up to popularity. Yeah, I can. I, can, I mean, just my two senses. I can. I, I use Hover, and uh, I can certainly vouch for it. it's just. It's so nice to go to a website and not have your eyes suddenly start bleeding. From <laughs> the barrage of uh, things they're trying to upsell you, uh, and they don't kill elephants. So that's. Uh, I, I, I knew oh, you were going to put that in there. That's Ron. It's Ron Brinkley with two ends again. Ron Look, Brinkley. I don't. You know, I. I <laughs> I got no problem with hunting. I grew up in Illinois, for God's sake. I hunted when I was a kid. But there's a fundamental difference between a squirrel and a rabbit or even a chicken and an elephant. And, you know, for me, any creature that can look in a mirror and recognize itself uh, falls into a different category. So that's Uh-oh. my two cents. Ron, on. you're getting philosophical All on this, on this photography program. Ron, Ron has mentioned the rapture and the line between sentience and nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Ron, you're getting deep. Sometimes you got to think about these things, Frederick. <laughs> yeah, uh, I agree. But you know, while you're thinking about those, just know that with Hover, you can set up email addresses, <laughs> forward addresses, redirect, and all that cool stuff. 
So um, if you want to try them out, you can try them out and get um, 10% off. All you got to do is head over to hover.com. That's H-O-V-E-R.com forward slash TWIP. And use the offer code TWIP and you'll get an instant 10% off. And I don't want to turn this into the Hover episode, Frederick. <laughs> I want to tell you that the guys at Hover saved my ass. They, how did how did they? they I want to hear this. I, I, I'm not going to tell you the downside, but they now manage all of the DNS and uh, registrations for the Conversations Network. And it's a lot of domain names. And uh, I wouldn't go anywhere else. It's just that simple. Wow. All right. That's, uh, that's some powerful words there. All right. Uh, thanks a lot for that. Let's move on to some listener. Actually, this is tip of the week. Let's go into the tip of the week. So this is a segment where each guest gives a photography-related tip to help you, the listener, improve your photography. I'm going to give the uh, first one to Doug. Doug, what's your tip of the week? Well, last November, I decided that there must be a photo club here in Marin County, and I Googled Marin County Photo Club. And joined the local photo club, and it has been great, uh, a chance to uh, interact with other photographers of all sorts of skill levels, uh, join competitions, and I recommend that anybody uh, put their stuff into competition no matter what level they're at. And uh, so my tip is go out, find, and join a local photo club. I'd have to agree with that. And I think we mentioned on the show before, if you want to do that, just go to a site like uh, meetup.com. And uh, you'll, you know, basically you put in your location and it will tell you um, all about a bunch of groups that match your interests in your local area that you can join. Most, many of them are free or most of them are free. Some of them are, some of them charge, like there's some meetups in the, the San Francisco Bay Area that hire models and makeup artists and, and meet in studios. So they have some overhead that they have to cover. So they charge a small fee for you to come so they can cover that. But other than that, most of these are free and they're fun. And, you know, you could go to them every day of the week if you wanted to. So definitely a good tip, Doug. Sil Arena, what's your tip? Well, I have to say that uh, I, in some ways I love and hate this time of the year when we approach the summer solstice because the days are, at least in the north, incredibly long. If you're a southern hemisphere listener, it's obviously the opposite. But um, I find this time of year I'm getting up way earlier than I'd like to, and in some ways I'm staying up way longer. But my my observation is that the time uh, this time of year, the light is incredibly beautiful in the mornings. And actually, you know, these long summer twilights that we're moving into. So, you know, for a guy who's known for speed lighting, I have to say, uh, you know, I'm really lazy. If I don't have to fire up speed lights to get beautiful light, I'm not gonna. Um, So, you know, look at the light on both ends of the day. It's really amazing um, when these days in the north get really, really long. and, And likewise in the south when they get really short. But... Um, get up before the sun and stay up long after it's done with its job for the day, and you'll find some really interesting light. Very good. That's an awesome tip. All right, Mr. Ron Brinkman, what do you have? So uh, we, we always talk about you know why you would shoot raw and everything, and the fact that you know the biggest advantage is sort of you get this extra headroom uh, at the top end of the, of the image that you can pull back these blown out highlights and. Uh, but one thing that I, I think hasn't been covered a whole lot is the fact that when you look at the back of your camera, it's not showing you what's in the RAW file. It's showing you sort of what the JPEG equivalent would be. Uh, so effectively, you can't completely trust that, even the histogram that you're seeing on the back of your camera. So my, my tip is to kind of um, get to understand what your camera is showing you on the display a little bit better how, and how that relates to what's really being captured by the RAW file. Uh, I actually, for the first time in quite some time, 
updated my blog with a where I went out and took a photo and you know took a, a shot of the back of the camera and show how that compares to what you can really get out of the photo if you bring in the raw file. So I think it's mostly just a tip to kind of understand better what your camera is showing you uh, on the display in the back of the camera versus what's really in the raw file. Very cool. I want to add one thing to that real quick, and that is it's not just exposure. It's focus, too. Depending on your camera, I, I shot the Blue Angels a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and freaked out when I was checking focus and everything looked soft. I got home, everything was fine. So it, was, it, it really surprised me. Yeah, and I think yeah. some of that is just yeah. It's, it's especially on on some uh, some of these displays. They're just so you know they're not that great quality. The LCD on there that it can be it can be very misleading. Right. Very cool. All right, thanks, Ron. <clears throat> my my tip of the week is based on a tip that Silarina gave at one of the meetups that. I held a couple. I think it was was it earlier this year, still or last year when you yeah, came? Yeah, I think it uh, it was it was November. It was my yeah. son Vin's birthday. Oh, uh, yeah, that's, that's right. right. When the group was saying happy birthday to happy your son birthday. through yeah, the cell he was phone. Sixteen, so that was November thirtieth. November thirtieth, and yeah. one of the tips that you gave the group was to look to the shadows or understand the shadows. Yeah, it's, basically, it's, you said you got to understand the shadows to understand the light. Right. Look at the light and think about the shadows. Yep. Yep. So Not my, to steal your tip, but that, but well, my tip is steal yours. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look at the light and think about the shadows because you know we all think it's about lighting, and I say no, no, no. It's really about the shadows that create that craft the light. Without shadows, everything else is equally well lit, and if everything's equally lit, then it's really boring light. Yep. Yep. It's a passport photo. So I would uh, I would challenge the listeners to go out and just spend a day not even shooting like just your normal work day or your normal meandering around the neighborhood day and and just look at how things are lit and look at the shadows that are cast so say for example it's a sunny day um, look at the hard shadows that are cast and how the cars look and the specular highlights on the cars and the shadow underneath the cars and then contrast that with say lighting outside on an overcast day and how the shadows are almost non-existent and how much better you know, say portraits look because you don't see all the detail in the skin because there's no shadow or relief to reveal, you know, the highlights or the, the, the relief of the texture of the skin makes everything much softer. So, so just take a look around and look at, look at how the shadows are reflective, you know, so to speak of what that light source and the size of the light source. And, you know, I think you'll, to get your brain around how that stuff is happening, you know, you can incorporate that as a compositional technique into your photography. All right, guys, it is time for the pick of the week, not the tip, the pick of the week. This is where we uh, each guest gives a pick, and this can be software, hardware, gear, or a workshop, whatever, as long as it's photography-related. Sil, I'm going to throw it to you first. What's your pick of the week? All right, my pick of the week are my friends over at the Picture Licensing Universal System, known as PLUS. Uh, we were talking about PicScout a little bit earlier. Um, I tripped into Plus, uh, gosh, maybe three or four years ago when it was just an embryonic thought. Um, so their site is useplus.com. And anybody who's interested in licensing issues related to photography and other visual arts needs to check out useplus.com because the Plus Coalition, in my view, is the most viable intersection of a lot of uh, content creators, content licensors, and actually even software companies where they get together and they're having dialogues about what can we do to lock in the 
content creator's identity into a file image so that your photographs do, it, if it's ripped off it's ripped off but i think of greater issue perhaps is the whole orphan works legislation that rears its head in congress every couple of years and so useplus.com has a lot of great info and i think perhaps the most viable and innovative approach to linking my identity into my files for the long term very cool all right and that's useplus.com right that's correct. U-S-E-P-L-U-S dot com. All right. And Doug, what is your pick of the week? Well, this is a, an iPad app. Uh, actually, there's an iPhone version also. Uh, there are many like this. This is called the Photographer's Ephemeris. And this is an app that will show you exactly where the sun and the moon are going to rise and set relative to your position. Mm. So there are a lot of apps out there will say, you know, sunrise, sunset. They'll show you the angles and so forth. But this does it superimposed over a map, a zoomable map. might even be uh, uh, Google Maps. But um, it is great. I used it, for example, to uh, stand at the base of the Golden Gate Bridge. I wanted to know what day, what time would I have to get the moon rising over downtown San Francisco. And uh, it couldn't be easier. It's marvelous. It costs uh, $9, and it's worth it. Very cool. All right. I love that. All right. And finally, well, almost finally, Mr. Ron, <laughs> Ron Brinkman. A uh, couple little things. Uh, the first one is uh, an iPhone app called Time Lapse Helper. Uh, and this is a handy little thing. I think it was Stu Mashwitz actually tweeted about this where I first discovered it. It's a free app. And uh, what it lets you do is if you're shooting time lapse, there's this sort of time lapse in the sense of, you know, I want to shoot a bunch of still photos that I'm going to stitch together, put together to, to make a, a short movie. Uh, and there's this ho- sort of whole problem of, mentally figuring out, okay, if I shoot for every 10 seconds and I shoot for 10 minutes of this, how long is the final clip going to be if it's playing back at 24 frames a second Mm -hmm. or something like that? And so it's just a real simple little calculator where you can kind of go in and dial either I want to get 10 minutes of footage uh, or 5 minutes of time-lapse footage. I know I'm going to have to shoot for 8 hours at uh, whatever number of frames per second is or you can go the other direction to say if i am shooting something for every 10 seconds how long am i gonna have to shoot to get myself a minute of cool time lapse footage so it's pretty handy it's just called time lapse helper um and like i said it's free which is nice uh and then my other pick is just uh (laughs) total self-serving a friend of mine has a, a greek food import company called greek by nature and she sells these smoked olives that are just the most amazing things in the world so I'm just going to put a link up on the show notes to uh, where you can go buy these these, these smoked olives. Awesome. Because for, I all the, for all the food photographers. Uh, you know, uh, I was saying, I'm trying to draw that parallel between, between no olives because, and photography. It's not coming I to me, right? I ate, the first time I tried these things, I was like, oh, my God. And I, I've given them to friends. And one friend of mine was like, this is like an olive has mated with a piece of bacon. <laughs> I'm totally in. Sign me in. Exactly. And if that doesn't make you week. want it, then, yep. All right, sign me up. You're going to have to send me some of those. Yep, they're pretty good. <laughs> An olive has mated with a piece of bacon. That might have to be the title <laughs> of this episode. <laughs> All right, and my pick, uh, really quickly, is a site called 500px, or 500 pixels. It's, um, it's a new photography sharing site that um, it was introduced to me. Actually, I found out about it through following Thomas Hawk on Twitter, and he's been trying it out and raving about it. And then... 
uh, Trey Radcliffe jumped on the bandwagon and, he, bandwagon, and he's looking at it. So I decided to play around with it. And it's actually an interesting-looking site. It's a, a site that is like much like Pure Photo, which we talked about on the, on the show before. It's, they're looking at it from more of a less-is-more perspective you know, as compared to, say, Flickr, which is more-is-more. Um, they're looking at it as a less-is-more. Everything is about the image, big, giant, beautiful images, your images, um, with a lot of sharing features and all that good stuff. So... I am going to try to get the the guys behind that site on This Week in Photo in the coming weeks as an interview so we can dive deeper behind what they were thinking when they put the site together, who it's for, and if they are... If they have a you know a picture of the Flickr logo in their conference room with the crosshair painted on it, so we're gonna, we're gonna <laughs> well, you know, it really it does feel it's interesting because it does feel like all of a sudden people realize you know what Flickr is hasn't changed in a long time and it's got this clunky old interface and it's really kind of annoying me and there's room for some disruption there. I certainly kind of feel like you know Flickr's never had a great interface and now it's just feeling really old. Yeah. So I think there's certainly room for some somebody to emerge as kind of the uh the next generation of what Flickr uh, was for a while. It's kind of like Windows, right? You, if you're in a if you're in a, on a Windows machine, or at least back in the day when window like Windows three one when it was just horrible, um, you you just had to deal with it. And you're like, okay, let me save every five minutes just in case this thing crashes, and you just sort of deal with the bad pieces and build those into your workflow. I mean, it's kind of the same with Flickr. Yeah, there's a lot of negative things about it, but you know it, it works, and all my images are up there, and all my friends, and all this. So I'm just going to yeah, deal with the bad true. stuff. Yeah, that's true. You know, that traction of the the social network that's been built up, and the traction of the the existing library is already there. And I don't know if any of these new next generation ones offer a simple sort of uh, suck all my stuff off of Flickr and import it into here. But Smug Mug, first, Smug Mug does. Smug they, Mug does. Yeah, yeah. and that, you know I've never really used Smug Mug a lot. I don't. I can't really say why other than I just sort of had this feeling like it wasn't quite what I wanted, but um, I should probably look at it again because yeah, I think you it's probably true. Should. Yeah, it's, uh, Smug Mug is really powerful. I mean, it's uh, it's not free. So, you know, these other services that we, we talk maybe about. Maybe that's are, it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, although, you know, I think, I mean, does Smug Mug import your, I mean, there's the photos, which I know it does, but there's also this sense of it would be nice if somebody was sort of able to kind of parse your friends list on there and keep track of that, and then there's other friends from Flickr or followers, whatever they're called on there, also signed up that it could sort of reestablish those same connections. So you, you don't you wouldn't lose the social side of it as well as the photo side of it. Yep. All right, let's move on. Doug, do you have a wonderful pick of the week for us? I Didn't you do. already do one? We did that. We did that? Oh, <laughs> see, I'm I'm getting old. I'm I'm getting old. What day is this? <laughs> the rapture Frederick, Frederick, we, we've only got six hours left it's the rapture oh it's coming all right well let's end the show on that before i start the show again from the beginning <laughs> so, welcome to another episode of this week in photo all right guys uh sill where can people go to find out more about you and your antics all right. My antics. Um, my blog on smallflashspeedlighting.com, spelled Cannon's Way, S-P-E-E-D-L-I-T-I-N-G.com, or on Twitter, Syl underscore arena, S-Y-L underscore A-R-E-N-A. All right. Thanks, Syl. And Doug, where can people go to find out more about the things you're up to? Best is probably my blog, which is blogarhythms.com. I won't bother spelling that. There will be a link in the show notes, and we'll try and make that link go straight to the photo category. Uh, or Doug K, K-A-Y-E, on Twitter. 
Perfect. And Ron Brinkman, if people want to uh, comment to you about the rapture or sentience <laughs> or anything like that, where should they go? <laughs> Elephants or the rapture. Yes. Elephants and the, uh, you know, the morality of killing them. Where should they go <laughs> to, uh, to bring that up to you? Uh, as mentioned, I actually, for the first time in quite some time, updated my, my blog, put up a new post on there, uh, and it's even photography related. So my blog is digitalcomposting.com, all one word digitalcomposting.com uh, or I'm always on Twitter as well as uh, Ron Brinkman R-O-N-B-R-I-N-K-M-A-N-N Two N's, look at that Alright, and if you'd like to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, head over to thisweekinphoto.com There you'll find links to our Facebook fan page our Twitter page and much more. And if you're looking for me Frederick Van Johnson, you can check out my blog at frederickvan.com or follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Frederick Van. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.